Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon. I feel like it's actually it has been since the NFL draft since I've been on the show, but luckily... Uh, as usual, I'm here with Dalton. Dalton, how's it going, man? Coming off a rough Warriors loss last night, but uh, we move on. Let's talk some football, Matt. How's it going? Oh, things are good. You know, we're in the middle of uh, mini camp season. You know, which means that there is a ton of um, ton of speculation, a ton of rumors, and a ton of BS. So we're gonna today. We're gonna talk about the Dallas Cowboys offense later. Uh, take a little bit of a deeper dive look at that team set up and we're going to lead into kind of hopefully an ongoing little discussion here that I'm going to have on the podcast about uh, stackable offenses and everything like that. Uh, But also we are going to focus on some of these weird stories. You could call them stories or speculation or rumors or again, BS storylines coming out of mini camps. We're just going to kind of take a fun look at some of these things. Um, So let's dive right into it. Shall we? Uh, Dalton, let's start off briefly hit on uh, the whole Travis Etienne uh, wide receiver story is kind of the one that that that, that started this thing. Uh, and, and speaking of which story number one here is how Najee Harris is apparently playing wide out, playing a little bit of wide receiver, playing some snaps uh, at the X receiver position, apparently, is what he's going to be asked to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is interesting because if there's one thing I think this offense didn't need, it's more receivers. <laughs> Obviously, I think they're doing pretty well in the pass catching department. But Dalton, I just kind of wanted to take your temperature on this Steelers offense because I actually feel like we spent you and I and the the general we spent a ton of time talking about the Steelers last offseason. I know I wrote about probably about a thousand pieces about this offense, and it turned out to be one of the most uh, hideous groups in the entire NFL. Now, you know, a calendar, not, you know, it was a productive unit, obviously, but it, it really flamed out there towards the end. Now I feel like, you know, 365 days later, it's one of the most confounding and hardest to project offenses in the entire league, just because there's so many unknowns with the quarterback and the offensive line. Where are you at with the Steelers, my man? Because there are a lot of intriguing receivers on this team. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's funny. That's the one position on offense they don't need to worry about. But um, so firstly, I I am concerned about this offense moving forward. Big Ben's age, the injury history. You know, he said his arm felt better than ever coming off the elbow surgery. That resulted in 5.8 YPA over the second half. The touchdowns were there. Maybe that's a blip. But that's the all-important stat, and that's really, really bad. So the fact that it only came with three sacks and he was like 
unwilling to, to turn his back to the defense and run play action gives me less confidence that the new offensive coordinator will, will bring some great change or a fountain of youth. So very concerned because quarterback's the most important. Don't like the depth there if he were to go down. So yeah, you look at how bad that efficiency was the second half. How could you not be worried? But I'll also counter that by talking out the other side of my mouth and say, I still have settled in with Najee Harris as a top 15 back. Just because of the volume, man. You look a little bit deeper into J.K. Dobbins, uh, DeAndre Swift. We'll talk about Miles Sanders. And there's too much volume concern to, to take those guys over someone looking at 300 touches like Harris is. So I, I think he's still a second-round fantasy pick despite the major, major questions at quarterback. Yeah, I feel like every year we kind of do the annual tropes with every position with wide receiver. And I, I believe this one, this one like isn't a trope. It, the position does seem to get deeper and deeper every single year. Uh, we always try to hype up some random, you know, upside youth tight ends. That never works out. Quarterback is the same as ever. With running back, it feels like this time of year, you know, right here around May, even uh, into June, we start to kind of talk ourselves into running back being a strong position, like a deep position. But just like you said, we're right now we're working with like a, a, an untarnished landscape. We know number one, that some guys won't perform. Some guys will get, you know, um, and I think Swift will talk about him later. Sanders is another candidate. Like some guy's going to have an annoying veteran scratching some of other ceiling away. And, you know, also guys are going to get hurt. We know that too. So that like, if you finish the season running back 17 overall, who cares? I think I saw someone say today, like, wasn't Frank Frank Gore's like top fifteen? I think in running back carries last year. I mean, like, <laughs> and I mean, I love Frank Gore, but come on, uh, Adam Gase, come back to reality here for a second. Like, we know that the running back position will eventually start to fall off. So I agree with you. Like, there are holes that you can poke in all of those guys that you mentioned. J.K. Dobbins, I think, is the one that doesn't get discussed enough, to the point that. Najee Harris, yeah, there's obviously some flaws there too, but they're not going to give guys like Anthony McFarlane or Benny Snell the 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 um, you know the ball enough to really matter. And the fact that he's playing receiver and the fact that they've even talked about look like the shades of Le'Veon Bell, all that type of stuff. I think that like Steven Jackson's a better comparison for Najee because he's just more of a power runner type of guy. I don't know. I mean, it just leads you to think like the floor is also going to be there because of that volume and the floor from a weekly basis is going to be there because of that receiving workload, too. Yeah, there are questions at the offensive line, but they spent first round capital on him. There is no threat of a running quarterback to steal goal line touchdowns and he will get thrown to. Yeah, I don't know if he's actually going to play wide receiver, but he's looking at a lot of targets. Look at this depth chart. It's probably the weakest in the NFL behind him. So at running back. So I'm in on Najee Harris, but certainly concerned about Big Ben and the rest of the offense. I think in one of our um, in the Pittsburgh uh, group piece upcoming, uh, one of the questions was, uh, which receiver do I want? And my answer was was none really at ADP because of the concern with Big Ben. So in on Harris, but pretty much out on the rest. Yeah, I was going to ask you where you are with the receivers. I know you and I both liked Deontay Johnson last year, obviously got a ton of volume. I, I think he's probably probably looking at a similar outlook as last season, you know, a lot of catches, a lot of targets. Uh, the explosive plays will be hit or miss. Where are you at? I mean, I feel like Juju's just not an appealing pick because there's so much. Um, he's going to need so much volume, and it's probably not going to be there because I think the overall pass attempts will be down in this offense. Uh, where are you at with Chase Claypool? Because I'll tell you, intriguing talent. I mean, he he. Ha you can really draw a lot of similarities from a usage standpoint and like the routes that they used him on standpoint to DK Metcalf from his rookie year. Um, just keeping things simple, like 
but does he take that next step that Metcalf always like was always destined to take because he's that type of player? I don't think he's as good or as physical or as you know as as um, athletically dominant as DK Metcalf is. But just I think there's a usage comparison there. But you know the fact that Juju came back kind of mucks things up for both Claypool and Johnson. To I, I agree with you. I think I'm. I'm not like I don't mind drafting Johnson because I think he's a very good player. I don't mind drafting Chase Claypool. I, I would buy him. I would buy both those guys in Dynasty, maybe not in redraft. But I don't know that I'm like priority targeting anybody uh, from this passing game. Yeah, I have Deontay ranked the highest just because of the target share was so good. But uh, my answer was Chase Claypool among these three because his ADP is a little lower, double digit touchdowns as a rookie. I mean, just the upsides there. And and Juju, he actually got some red zone targets in the second half, and he might just get work out of the slot. But uh, yeah, I'm more just annoyed of him mucking up the situation than I am going to draft him on any of my teams. I mean, he has some real um, concerning, you know, efficiency numbers. So I've got like the upside of Claypool and the TDs, but it's hard not to rank Deontay the highest because of the volume. Um, but I'm guessing I'm going to come away with none of the, of the Pittsburgh wide receivers. Yeah, that feels like uh, maybe in a dynasty sense, it might make sense to buy these guys after the season is over, after they might disappoint with Ben. But I mean, Ben's already out there kind of tainting, like maybe I come back for 2022. It's like, geez, dude, like we got we saw you crying at the end of the last playoffs. Like that was the moment to leave. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, they'll they'll be in the quarterback wilderness one way or another. Uh, we'll see what happens with them going forward. Let's stop talking about the Steelers. They gross me out. A team that I actually do find really intriguing is the Indianapolis Colts. And speaking of a, um, you know, an off a classic offseason storyline, uh, player X is feeling better than ever before. <laughs> Paris Campbell is one hundred percent feeling great, and Dalton. We're gonna get a decent amount of this. You know, there was the whole like. Listen, if you have you have to buy like the outlet of your uh, jerseys, the, all the overstock of them, if you decide to change your number, I guess they weren't printing a lot of Paris Campbell jerseys because he decided to change his number to number one to get a fresh start. I, I think that the Colts offense is really intriguing to me. I think Michael Pittman is kind of getting slept on as a potential breakout candidate only because, number one, I like the player. Number two, they're going to need Michael Pittman to emerge to have like a competent offense. This skill position group, this wide receiver room in particular, like really not not the running, take the running backs out of it. They're great at running back, but wide receiver tight end. There's a lot of questions on this Indianapolis depth chart. What's your read uh, on the Colts as we sit right now? Pittman certainly passed the eye test as a rookie season, but man, I was surprised when I looked back and saw he actually only scored one touchdown. I still like his potential. Paris Campbell, you look at his workout metrics, 100th percentile 40-yard dash, 97th percentile in the speed score and the burst score. Um, he led this team in targets the one week he was healthy last year. I know there's some concern. I guess Carson Wentz does not target the slot at all, but who knows how much that'll correlate. But if he could stay healthy, Campbell for sure. I think T.Y. Hilton's dusted. If not, I'll just be, uh, uh, he'll be, I'll be wrong on him on all, on none of my fantasy teams. I'm, I'm kind of writing off Hilton and, um, and yeah, whoever comes cheaper with, with the Pittman or Campbell, I, I would I could see both uh, having interesting seasons. Uh, even though Wentz's inaccuracy is a concern, but yeah, you look at the workout metrics and the upside, and now it's just uh, it just comes down to health with a guy like Campbell. So let me let me give you kind of my this isn't a conspiracy like theory, but it's just kind of a it's kind of an out there take on these on these two receivers in particular. I agree with you on Ty. I think he's probably close to the end of his career. 
I think he can give you some big plays every now and again, but like I, that felt more like a sentimental re-signing and also like our, do our fine. We bring back T.Y. Hilton to, to be in the mix instead of like relying on Zach Pascal again. Oh man, that's not the worst thing in the world. Like, I mean, ownership got involved to bring T.Y. Hilton back. That's when you know it might not be a purely a, a football move type of thing there. So between Campbell and Pittman, I think so much of what they did last year, and this is smart coaching, was to make Philip Rivers comfortable and make him an instant success, despite the fact that this was, you know, it's a very different offense to go from like Jacoby Brissett to Philip Rivers. Obviously, Reich had experience with Rivers. That's why the signing happened. But that I think everybody probably knew that was a one year stopgap. Uh, Rivers is not pushing the ball down the field at this point in his career. That's why, like, you saw uh, Paris Campbell catch all those, like, short crossing drag routes, stuff like that. And even then when Pittman got in the mix, so many of his routes that he ran were dig routes uh, and slant routes, you know, just again, really Philip river centric routes to the point that you didn't even see Pittman get a lot of chances in contested catch situations down the field, which is where I think he's actually best as a player. It feels like to me, if we're just talking theoretical fit with the quarterback that's coming in, it feels like actually Carson Wentz, that might be a good fit there because he will throw the ball down the field a bit more. He is much more aggressive about throwing into tight windows than Phillip Rivers at this stage of his career, which is just another reason I think like, I don't know, I just never really been into the Paris Campbell thing. It's not really, not really my type of receiver. Uh, and, and Pittman, I think actually profiles as like a true outside number one receiver. And I think stylistically might fit better with this quarterback. One thing I'll say about those receivers too, is they're looking at more targets because not only did Phillip Rivers leave, but the offensive coordinator left that just funneled so many to the running back position. Um, so the, the receivers could be looking at just a greater percentage there. Not that there's a tight end on the roster either. Um, one thing I'll say about Wentz uh, doing a little bit of a deeper dive. I'm all in on Jonathan Taylor this season, but Carson Wentz led all of football last year in interceptions and sacks, and he had like the third most fumbles, and he played 12 games. I mean, so... Didn't I, I mean, start the whole season. I mean, yes. So how, I mean, I, I, he could really be a detriment if I'm taking this running back. I mean, so I worry a little that I think he's going to bounce back and be, you know, do a reasonable facsimile of uh, old uh, Rivers last year. But man, there's a, there's, there's some concern that Wentz is a real disaster again too there at least at least worth pointing out a little bit because he was not just bad last year I mean it was, and you look at the CPAE stats too you know he was I think Dwayne Haskins was the only guy more inaccurate so it was bad it was really bad yeah Wentz was legit bad on his own last year obviously playing in a chaotic environment not just from the uh, offensive standpoint but in the overall organization we know now at this point like that organization was on fire from the inside last year man just I do think, though, even with some questions at wide receiver, this skill position group and this offense as a whole is such a better ecosystem than that Eagles unit last year. Uh, Jalen Rager was so, so bad as a rookie, um, not not even just from a stats perspective, a fantasy perspective. He was not a very good individual player. Um, and obviously, that was just the start of things. Like, there was one, like, one of the worst connections in football last year. This is an interesting part about like running backs, like throwing to the running backs, too. Like One of the worst, most efficient throws last year was Carson Wentz to Miles Sanders. That was a horrible connection. And I think some of that might have been on Sanders dropping the football, but also maybe some of that is Wentz, too. It doesn't, it's probably, I think, because of the like familiarity with Reich. And I, I feel I fall victim to this as well. It feels like we don't talk enough about what a risk this is that they're just, it's Wentz this year, Wentz or bust this year. Like the Colts could easily be back at the drawing board with quarterback uh, this time next, next year. But you are right. It is a better setup, better offensive line indoors, the Reich connection. It seems to be a real thing there. And I know people scoff at the schedule talk. 
But man, in a division facing Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Houston six times, I think I am safe to say that's projected favorably. Yeah, right. Like that is true. I mean, the AFC South should be a pretty brutal division. Speaking of that, NFC South wise, uh, Julio Jones is on the trade block. I want to come back to that in a second because this, I, this, I'm bothered by this entire situation. But Stay in the AFC South. Uh, Derrick Henry really wants him in Tennessee. Uh, he quote tweeted a Bleacher Report uh, tweet, tighten the F up when it, that was one of the rumored teams where he could go to Julio Jones. Uh, also, the Colts are potentially in the mix uh, as well. That would actually like you, you drop Julio Jones onto that Colts uh, offense. Then it's like, oh, this is actually kind of looking pretty good. I want to I want to get your thoughts on two things here. I want to get your thoughts. Number one on. How, how do you feel about the Julio Jones trade rumors? And two, if he, if he does go, is there any like realistic dream spot you'd like to see him at? Well, I want him to stay in Atlanta just because this looks like a great setup with with Ryan, no running back, uh, Kyle Pitts, Julio, and Calvin. I mean, I guess it could increase Pitts and, and Ridley's val- fantasy value, but I kind of want to see the setup there uh, come to fruition. Wild that stat that uh, Julio has averaged about 10 yards more uh, per game than the second best in NFL history wide receiver, Calvin Johnson's number two. And he retired in his prime. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with people fading in their final years. But that is just crazy. He's the same draft class as A.J. Green, who we can all agree upon is dusted. So I don't know how much he has left, but it's seemingly when he's healthy and on the field, he's still uh, certainly an above average wide receiver. I know my Niners have even been rumored, the Kyle Shanahan connection, but that could really uh, hinder their ability to re-sign guys like Fred Warner. Um, and they have no wide receiver three there, the Niners. But um, I-, I want him to stay in Atlanta, but it appears like they are uh, kind of set on dealing him. The sound of it is that like it's basically just a fully salary cap uh, related move, which I get right. Like at some point you do have to figure the salary cap out, but can't you do something else to figure this out? I mean, this is potentially the only no, not potentially. This is the only strength of the team is the passing game. Right, like Mike Davis and his giant thighs. I was just gonna are say like I the, apologize. The, I was just gonna apologize to Mike Davis's thighs. You beat me to it. Yes, all right. You're right. He, there there yeah. is a running move. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Dalton. I think like, oh, geez, like his thighs might be. Um, he might. He would could probably crush you and I like in one smash us both the pieces with those things. Without. Uh, he's a, he's he's up there with Saquon and like AJ Dillon, like competing in the quad off or whatever, like. Mike Davis and his thighs are like running the that's the running game. That's it at this point. The defense obviously is still a work in progress. The only strength of Atlanta's team is the fact that they have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, who I think is ready to be a number one receiver uh, at this point. And obviously, like with one of the best, if not the best tight end prospect to ever enter the NFL. Like, do you really have to go and mess that up? Can't you figure something else out? It's like, what is what's gonna excite people more to watch this team in week one? Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, or Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, and a bunch of cap space. Ah, man, I mean, it's just, it's tough. It's tough. It's really a, I know Atlanta's in a tough situation, but like, it feels like uh, Thomas Dimitrov was like on a couple of football podcasts recently, like talking about team building. Somebody probably should have held his feet to the fire a little, a little hotter if uh, this is the position, this is the unavoidable reality that Atlanta finds themselves in right now. You know, they spent a couple, two first-round picks on offensive linemen a few years ago. They have Arthur Smith calling plays now. Carolina and New Orleans are beatable. I think there is dark horse 
possible a wild card candidate here. I have my eyes on them. Uh, sure. I, I think they should go for it here. Keep Julio, keep those three, Arthur Smith. Let, I mean, Matt Ryan, okay, you didn't draft a quarterback, so let Matt, Matt Ryan have his weapon. I mean, yeah, this makes too much sense to leave them there. I think the Falcons could actually threaten to make the playoffs this year, too. So, I, I, yeah, I'm all for fantasy managers and in real life. I just hope Julio stays. But unfortunately, it looks increasingly less likely. Yeah, me too. I mean, it makes no sense. Like the entire the the totality of their offseason makes no sense if they you know they keep Matt Ryan. They um, obviously had to do a, do some stuff with his contract to stay under the salary cap. Whatever that's gonna that that is gonna toll at some point. That's gonna come back to bite you. Um, you're gonna have to take that medicine at some point. Take this whole salary cap medicine later. You know you've basically already committed to that at this point. You passed up on Justin Fields at number four. Um, you know, or, or Mac Jones or whatever, but let's stick with Justin Fields. You, you pass up on the quarterback prospect at number four for an instant impact right now, you know, stud at tight end to pair with this great offensive coordinator that you've hired as your head coach. It makes no sense. Those are all in like win now moves to then trade Julio Jones, who, yeah, sure, he's got injury problems, but he was still ultra productive when he was on the field last year. And you would immediately go from like two stud 1A, 1B receiver. And I again, I think Ridley's at the point now. I think he's on that Stefan Diggs track where like he is going to be a one number one, true number one receiver. So like put put Julio and Calvin at one or A or B or whatever. I don't care. Like you'd go from that to, oh great. Now we're talking about like Russell Gage and um Zaki Olamidi Zacchaeus again as guys that could contribute in Atlanta. It doesn't make any sense. And I hope Julio Jones stays with the Falcons, but we'll see what happens um with that one. For anyone that's hoping that DeAndre Swift is going to be some big breakout running back this year, Anthony Lynn uh, recently said in an interview that, uh, you know, Jamal Williams is a, is an A type of back, is like a number one type of back. And, it, you know, it's got all this talk out there that now Jamal Williams is going to be the lead back in Detroit. Um, you know, this this part, like this whole idea that Jamal Williams is going to be the number one back in Detroit, I'm don't, I don't buy on, I don't buy that, Dalton, but I'll tell you what I do buy. I do buy that this is going to be some split, and I do buy that Jamal Williams is going to be a thing this year. Now, what you want to meet, take like, you know, a thing, that's up to you. But even if he is what he was to Aaron Jones in Green Bay, like just taking some of those snaps, he's going to be annoying to DeAndre Swift managers. Uh, and oh, by the way, like he's going to be Jamal Williams to Aaron Jones, you know, be Jamal Williams to DeAndre Swift on the Lions offense, not the Packers offense. That's not great. I'm 100% out on Swift at ADP, unfortunately. He's a baller, awesome player. Love watching him. Um, but there was already concern, you know, could he withstand 300 touches? Now we won't have to worry about that because he won't approach it with Jamal Williams, the coaching, the Neanderthal coaching, Jared Goff at quarterback. There are so many concerns. I mean, just so many concerns. So there's just no way you can take him above. Um, I, I have him down to like 18th on my running backs, and I could even see Miles Gaskin going above him. I, I, it's too many concerns here, too many red flags. I hope I'm wrong. Again, fun player. I'd love to see him be treated as a feature back. But Jamal Waves is the thing. He really improved before last offseason on the Packers. And as much as we want to see Aaron Jones get all the touches, he really did become a reliable pass catcher. And he's a, an okay player. And I'm going to take the coaching staff for their word here. And um, I think this is just about as bad of a situation you could possibly be. And I mean, Jared Goff is throwing to Brashard Perryman. I mean, it's this is really, really a bad situation. Yeah, I think Swift has to get into like the fourth round um, and like RB20-ish range before I'd think about taking him. Because, I mean, 
if he like I know Dan Campbell has previously said like he wants him to be Detroit's Alvin Kamara, which like juicy role there, but like there's a different again, there's a difference between being Alvin Kamara with the Saints offense and Alvin Kamara with the Lions offense, even if like number one, he's probably not going to be as good as Alvin Kamara, but even if he was as good as Alvin Kamara, uh, he'd be doing that in Detroit. Like I was kind of out on Swift anyways, because like, I'm not going to go around and draft Jamal Williams. Cause I'm really not trying to draft a running back. That's going to play for a team that legitimately Dalton, this team might score 25 touchdowns this year. Like th- th- there's a potential that they're like, they're that bad. This, this, this skill position room is not good. I don't really want to draft any Lions player this year. Yeah, so I, this is where I, someone like me would be stubborn, and I must get come out with three running backs in my first three rounds, and I would have been the guy jamming in uh, Swift in late second or third there, you know, just trying to. But it's too thin there in the second and third round, especially when these stud receivers are, are available there. So, um, yeah, I just think there's too many question marks, uh, not just durability, but with with the volume now and on a bad team for me to uh, to 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 be in at ADP. I mean, I like him. But I mean, ADP right now he's being drafted as a top fifteen back. Yeah. No, can't be doing that. Um, let's move on to this one. Hey, here's here's something you never heard before. Deshaun Jackson is crushing it this offseason. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. We'll we'll see if Deshaun Jackson like makes it. You know, he's, there's all these one-handed catches from Matthew Stafford at Rams camp, which is exciting. I actually do think the Deshaun Jackson signing, like if he was to stay healthy, is exactly what this offense needs. You know, they still have Tutu Atwell uh there at this point. Like, you know, I know he's Talk about a guy who would get destroyed by Mike Davis's uh, quads. I don't know that Tutu Atwell has got the bulk to withstand that, but they're clearly looking for some big play element in this offense. Like maybe it's Jackson, maybe it's Atwell, um, maybe it's Vane Jefferson from last year, who I think they still have high hopes for. But where are you at with this Rams offense? Because I, I tell you what, it, it was. Interesting, I heard uh, Jordan Rodriguez, the Athletics Rams writer, was on a show recently. She was basically talking about one of the biggest frustrations. There were many frustrations with uh, Sean McVay and um, Jared Goff by the end of things. But one of the biggest frustrations is that the offense was so confined to the middle box of the field. Like they had no vertical threats on this offense after trading uh, Brandon Cooks. And they had, you know, a quarterback who was not willing to pull the trigger downfield anyways, to the point that teams just basically crowded the middle of the field on this offense, which is kind of a bummer when your best receivers, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods and Tyler Higby, as well as the tight end, like those are all middle of the field guys. So I think that even if Jackson and Atwell and all of these guys don't really pop for fantasy, I think they actually could increase the ceiling of the offense overall, as well as a guy, Matthew Stafford, who's willing to go down the field. That might make things better for players like Cup or Woods and obviously Cam Akers in the running game as well, because teams are going to be forced to defend um, more blades of grass than just that middle of the field. Uh, where are you at with the Rams offense? Because I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I've never been big on like these guys as um individuals but i think the collective could and especially tyler higby too like with gerald everick on the collective could be really good this year there's a school of thought that mcveigh's a bit overrated and that might be true he was effectively pantsed by belichick in the super bowl but i still think he's (laughs) one of the whatever five best offensive play callers in the league easily and uh, i think that golf from from golf to stafford is a massive massive upgrade i'm in on all these guys i'm obnoxiously high on cam Akers as my number five back i have both woods and cup and top 15 receivers 
I have Higby high. Uh, I, I like these guys. Deshaun Jackson, I've already drafted in two best balls. I know that's an easy crutch, best ball, especially when you're recommending Deshaun Jackson. But if healthy, he is the one missing element. And Tutu liter- literally weighs 160 pounds and is a rookie. So yeah, if Jackson can stay healthy with Stafford. Being generous with arm, that 160, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I know he's listed at 155. I know they they claim that he was yeah he he entered five pounds heavier, but yeah exactly man. So you never hear anyone that small. But I think Jackson, if healthy, I know he's approaching 35, but he's going to be good for some blow up games. I'll I'll call it here. He'll have a three TD game this season with with Stafford. But um yeah I, I I'm in on this offense obviously uh, based on my rankings. So um so so yeah I think it's a major upgrade at quarterback. Yeah I love that and I I agree. Like you should be taking late round stabs in best ball. Like that's the perfect format for Jackson. Um, even Atwell too. Like I would, yeah. I would take a couple steps just in case. Like I mean, they took him aggressively. I don't know that it was the right pick over guys like Terrace Marshall and some of the other players, but like they did take him aggressively to the point that they are trying to create with a player like that. They are trying to create vertically. So um, yeah, I took him in like the third or fourth round of a best ball dynasty league. I'm like, okay, just don't you know, just don't find your way into into Mike Davis at at some point too too, and maybe we'll get out of this thing <laughs> all right. But like, yeah, I, I do think this offense as a whole is is one that I'm willing to buy in on, especially Cam Akers. Like, I mean, running back five is aggressive, but I love the thought behind it because that guy balled out last year, and uh, you know, especially towards the end, I think he provides like a missing. Um, element that they were kind of lacking before he took over. So yeah, I like that I mean, offense as a whole. Gur- Gurley on one knee is leading the league in this system in, in rushing in touchdowns with Jared Goff. I mean, uh, it seems to me McVay loves Akers. He's even flat out said it. And uh, Daryl Henderson's there. Just grab him in round 10 for a backup. Um, Akers, would like to see more targets, but um, it's definitely admittedly aggressive. But man, I just like the setup there. McVay's lead back, I just think a big, big season could be in store. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, let's go to the Eagles uh, offense because apparently they're buying in on um, Nick Sirianni. Uh, hear it from Jason Avant, former Eagles player who is speaking at minicamp. I've been on the fence. I've been kind of critical of Nick Sirianni, but you can feel his energy. You can feel that guy loves football. I was there last year and it was a very, very thick, competitive, like you're in the middle of a fight. Now it's a free flow there and there's a fresh sense of renewal for a lot of people around the building uh number one nick sirianni football guy we'd love to hear it you know it's probably not great that like the guy hasn't even coached a game yet and we're already doing the no seriously like the players are in on this like the players are they, they like this guy of course this eagles offense here's here's something I, I had a thought on you know i feel like as a collective dalton we're a fantasy industry we're all kind of like listen with jalen hurts there like there's not going to be a ton of passing volume um but and again different offensive coaches here right like, obviously, Doug Peterson was there last year. We'll see what Nick Sirianni, like, where he is as a play caller. But last year with Hurts, like, take out, you know, obviously that New Orleans game, you know, they were they were pretty run heavy with him, uh, you know, getting him on board at 18 carries, 100 yards. Uh, but 30 pass attempts in that game, 44 pass attempts against Arizona, 39 pass attempts against Dallas. He had 20 before he got yanked in week 17 so they could secure that draft pick bag. Are we kind of underrating the potential for Eagles pass catchers in this offense? Uh, Because like last year, they did let Hurts air it out again. Different coaching staff, I understand. But they were doing that mostly because the defense was bad and they weren't keeping them in games. I think there's a chance the defense might still be questionable headed into this year as well. And weirdly, Hurts actually led all... uh quarterbacks in average intended air yards he was like throwing it down the field yeah he was willing to wing it mm-hmm. yeah it was a surprise so uh, i think we're all kind of playing a guessing game with the new coaching staff i actually recently was reading some speculation that maybe miles sanders will be used more as a receiver because 
that's what Sirianni did at, at the Colts. But also Phillip Rivers was was the quarterback there, not a dual running threat. But and you mentioned it was a horrible outcome. The Sanders, any pass attempt to yeah. Sanders was terrible. So, um, but yeah, I mean, um, dropped almost like thirty percent of his passes. I, I bring this up a lot with Miles Sanders, and it's it, I'm not killing like him for the rest of his career for it. But it is absurd, like a running back with like a almost like 30% drop rate. That is, um, that's more than you want. Let's put it that way. I'm aggressive on Hertz. Uh, my ranking, he ran aggressively, just basically at the rate of right behind Lamar Jackson when starting as a court. So the floor is just so high there. I don't even need a big leap as a passer. Um, they obviously added Devonta Smith there and I'm in on Dallas Goddard. So I, I like Hertz setup, but man, I couldn't tell you as far as the coaching. I don't know. I'm curious and waiting to see what happens. And I know kind of, kind of everyone's taking a wait and see uh, approach with him just because of, you know, his college career was different and what he offers. But man, as fantasy managers, I just love his ability with his legs yeah I feel like this Eagles offense just the passing game you know in a potential world where like they do let Hurts throw a lot like they are pretty pass heavy you know Dallas Goddard hasn't quite had that break like that breakthrough campaign yet but you know oftentimes we are early on these tight ends and then you know we get let down and then they eventually circle back like Maybe we have yet to see the best of Dallas Goddard. I don't think Zach Ertz like is going to be on this Week One roster. Like, yeah, they're no, just that's, dying. That's sorry, that's they're my answer. Dying for someone that should have been my answer, not the receivers. It is Goddard. I like him. He has really decent. Well, like he's a good athlete. I have him as my tight end yeah. seven. I could see him easily being better than than Mark Andrews this year because I think he could be the lead the Philly in targets. And uh, I think he's good. Yeah, Hertz is a long shot to be on the week one roster. I'm sorry, uh, Ertz. <laughs> I'm going to mess up their names. <laughs> Please release him that just so be, I can yeah. Yeah, get that. him out of there yeah. so we don't mess yeah. this up. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I'm in on Goddard. I'm in on Goddard. I like him this year quite a bit. But, you know, I'm always overhyping all these tight ends. I think this is one. He was. He's a guy that's been overhyped as a potential breakout for like the last two years. Maybe this could be the year. That's always your famous last words in fantasy. This is the year. Um, this is the year for Dallas Goddard because – Potentially could be like the number one target in this office. I I, I love Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be great for Jalen Hurts right away. And I think Jalen Rager is a much better fit as a guy that you throw to like four to six times a game um, as a vertical slot receiver. Um, and, you know, you can use Smith all over the field. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But Goddard is definitely a guy that I'm willing to buy as, you know, I guess he qualifies as like that post hype sleeper type of player. Um, but yeah, let everybody else debate the backfield. I actually think some of these pass catchers could be values. Uh, last little storyline we'll hit from minicamp here I, I know this one has probably been talked about on the podcast before and i know everybody has talked about it like the jags are the center of the damn universe in the offseason because they signed freaking tim tebow and like they're playing travis Etienne at wide receiver and for whatever reason i feel like people are so up in arms about this but there's a couple of things like number one it's right up urban Meyer's alley to have like a slasher type of player he openly admitted that he wanted Kadarius tony for that role but which is also I mean, Urban, dude, what are you doing? Like, do, how do you think Travis Ntn feels about like, yeah, the guy we really wanted was Kadarius Tony, but we settled on this guy here, Travis Ntn. I guess, we'll, I guess he can be my uh, slasher type gadget player. I know that's not exactly what he said, but I'm paraphrasing here basically because he admitted that he wanted Kadarius Tony at that pick, and obviously they signed Tim Tebow. Two things, Dalton. Number one, on Tebow, real quick. Anybody that's out there, and maybe you fall into this category too, Dalton, so I might be coming at you with knives on this one, but uh, just stick with me here. Anybody that's out there saying, listen, don't even freak out about the Tebow thing. He has like a 0% chance to make the roster. BS. Uh, He could absolutely make this roster because three months ago, Dalton, 
you would have said to me and I would have said to you and every human being alive would have said to everyone, there's no way Tim Tebow's on an NFL roster in May of 2021. There's a 0% chance. Well, Urban Meyer has already showed you to have your mind open to the impossible. So he very well could be on this opening day roster as a tight end, not because he deserves it, not because it's the right thing. Uh, in fact, I kind of think it's the wrong thing, but because of this relationship that is there, this thing could happen. Uh, and it, it's very like, it's, it's a very real thing that we see Tim Tebow play NFL football this year. Now, again, not because I think it's smart or the right thing to do, but that's just what this relationship has shown you. That's number one. Um, I don't know if you have any takes on uh, Tim Tebow before I bring my actual more important point here. I put nothing past Urban Meyer. I would not push back on that whatsoever. I, yeah, it's 50-50 proposition. He ends up on the on week one roster. I'd say I'm with you. It's totally a, entirely a possibility. I can't believe that uh, there are people out there legitimately like don't even freak out about it. Zero percent chance he plays like zero percent chance. No way. There's a you again. You would have said zero percent chance he's on an NFL roster. Like what? Not even three. I'm being like aggressive when I say three months ago, like two months ago, uh, two days before the damn draft when the reports started coming out. You would have said zero percent chance. So. Keep your mind open to horribleness with head coaches is always the right thing to do. It doesn't sound like Urban Meyer has his mind open to LaVisca Chenault being the gadget player for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And let me tell you, I actually think, Dalton, this is a good thing because I think uh, LaVisca Chenault, where are you at? Where are you at with this Jags passing game in general? Like where guys are at um, like at cost right now? Are you drafting any of these players or are you just like avoiding uh, Urban Meyer's circus down there? I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good right away, and I think it's a winnable division, and I'm really interested in Jacksonville as a whole, but I've not figured out who to, to specifically target in the passing game. I want, what, what does RP tell me about Chenault? I mean, maybe Marvin Jones, just because uh, just he'll be the cheapest ADP, and he's kind of this veteran-savvy guy that no one wants, but he'll end up with the most touchdowns. But you tell me about sh- what I should do with Chenault, because I was in, uh, they're getting Trevor Lawrence, and then I'm out with Travis Atien drafting, so what should I do? So, I mean, who knows if I'm right about this, but this is my, this is the way I'm approaching this receiver core and this offense as a whole right now. Like, yeah, Travis Intian, I think is in this Percy Harvin, old Curtis Samuel, Ohio state role where he's going to get a good amount of carries, but like legit might be 50, 50 catches to carries. I mean, whatever his carry number is, I would take the under whatever his uh, catch total is right now. I would probably take the over on that. And, you know, the lines are probably going to move at some point because, um, you know, it's, this is just such an easy storyline to follow now, but like, that's kind of the way I've been approaching that from the receivers. DJ Chark, I think is established as the top ish target here, but I don't think the gap between Chark and Jones is that great. I think those guys are the two outside players. And I think Chenault, you know, after looking back at him as a rookie, I think he actually fits really well, like in the role that I've always wanted DJ Moore to play, you know, that inside receiver um, who is really good on in-breaking routes. And Chenault is great on contested catches. He's great after the catch, you know, basically like how the Steelers use Juju, how uh, the, the Rams use Cooper Cup. Like, that's not the same sort of gadget role that I think many were hoping he would fit in Urban Meyer's offense. But Consider the fact that, like, we're t- we're talking about Tim Tebow as the tight end for Jacksonville because they have no tight ends on this team, like no proven guy. So, yeah, the volume is probably is going to be a bit problematic, I think, for Chenault. Like, if he was going to get 30, 40 carries in that slasher role, that might boost his floor and ceiling a little bit in fantasy. But I also think from a role perspective, unless Urban Meyer is just like, 
straight out on this guy, which he might be because he is the type of guy to come in here and be like, I don't care what the old regime did at all. I don't care about their players. I'm getting my players, right? Chenault might be a guy that fits in an underrated role for this team if like Trevor Lawrence is over the middle, layup target, and then he does things after the catch, does things in contested situations. I really do think like from his rookie year is very comparable to like DJ Moore's first and second year in the league. Obviously, Moore has developed more to be like outside vertical receiver, I think, than Chenault would be. But I don't know, those in-breaking routes, like I could see a scenario where Chenault puts up a lot of production on those uh, if he establishes himself in that role. You know, and then also there's a possibility of an injury to Shark or Jones, two players who've been injured in the past, and then boom, you're looking at a target share increase that, that simple for, for Chenault. So yeah, I like the upside. All right, that is enough of all of these weird little mini camp uh, stories. Let's move into a little series that I'm I'm working on right now for the website, uh, written pieces about the most stackable offenses. Basically, looking at it from like the upper tier, the middle tier, and the lower tier of stackable offenses. Um, the first piece I'm going to be writing, Dalton, I'm going to be writing next week, and I'm hoping you just basically help me do all the work here. Like, let's talk this out a little, and I'll take all these ideas and put them into an article. Um, no, I'm kidding. But um, the the easiest stackable offense, I think, in fantasy right now is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it's the easiest one to explain to users. But before we kind of jump into it, let's have just a quick discussion basically on what are the benefits of stacking in uh, in a best ball format, especially because best ball, obviously if you're not first, you know, the easiest way to think about it is if you're not first, you're last, you want to come in first place, especially in these uh, larger field uh, best ball competitions. Stacking obviously gives you more upside because you're getting access to like, if this offense hits uh, you're getting more than one piece of it. And obviously if one piece is, if a quarterback's hitting his wide receivers hitting, it's basically taking the DFS approach and turning it into a season long league. Uh, Am I explaining that in a very stupid way? Can you do it in a better way? It's just more, most important in the overall component. So when you're facing more than just 11 league mates, so you really need to to hit it and and especially in the, the, the playoffs. And yeah, that's when you, you stack on the same team and boy, the Cowboys are a, a pretty good, uh, team to point to th- this year that's for sure so yeah let's talk about Dallas real quick uh because I know we were all excited about them last year Dak is apparently healthy he's apparently ready to go what's stopping us from being ultra excited about them again this year like obviously Dak is not going to put up the numbers that he was putting up to start last season the guy was on pace for 800 pass attempts 800 pass attempts like he was going to shatter every passing record in the book that's not going to happen because the defense might be um, better than the stone worst thing the NFL's ever seen. <laughs> like they might get some improvement off of that. But uh, basically, if you look at the like, we should be excited about this offense and the pass catchers are so easy to stack because like you've got two expensive guys at the top of the draft and Amari Cooper and CD Lamb. Those guys are kind of going around the same range right now in best ball drafts. Michael Gallup is very underrated still. Again, uh, he didn't have quite the season some were hoping, but there were some flashes there. You can have, get him later. You can get some of the tight ends. And, and obviously you can stack Zeke with Dak as well if you just want access to all of Dallas's touchdowns. Where are you at with this? Um, let's talk receiver core before we talk Zeke. And again, I'm assuming, maybe you're not, but I'm assuming that Dak is, you know, 100% back and ready to roll. First, let me talk Dak because I, I have him, I moved him up to my number two QB. Um, 
I know that was a gnarly nice. injury he he suffered. I'm I'm assuming that he will be 100% back from that. I know that that was not a sustainable start, but let's revisit that start. He averaged three more than 370 passing yards and three TDs per game if you counted the rushing stats for translated for fantasy. One of those games played at the Rams defense, which was you know I think the best the fewest yards per play last year, um, and he left hurt in that third quarter. Like, so he, he met, basically that was in a half a game too. And he still averaged 370 passing yards. I know defense is not a great correlation with pass attempts. And you said the Cowboys might have an improved one this year, but man, it sure seems to me like it'll be a lot of high scoring games in that division. They're indoors, three superstar wideouts to throw to. I also like Blake Jarwin late. Um, he's cheap for, for, a, for a stack option too. I'm all in yeah. on CeeDee Lamb. I have him ranked actually above Amari Cooper. I mean, they put up similar numbers last year, and CeeDee Lamb is younger and without the injury history. So I really don't think it's that crazy uh, of a time. I mean, I think he'll be, like, for sure ranked ahead of him uh, in, uh, um, unanimously next year. So why not just, you know, get ahead of it there? So And then Gallup might be my favorite because he's much, much cheaper, and he's really good in his own right. So love the setup here. Even if Zeke is, either way, I could see Zeke having a big season, or I could see him, you know, getting kind of faded, faded out. It just doesn't matter. There was going to be a lot of points scored in, by the Cowboys this year either way. Yeah, so on the pass catchers, uh, during that five-game stretch where Dak was playing, 55 targets, 424 yards, one touchdown for Amari Cooper. Uh, C.D. Lamb was number two on the team, 40 targets, 433 yards, uh, two touchdowns for C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup, way down in targets, 28, uh, 348, and one touchdown. But was the clear-cut vertical threat, 16.7 air yards per target, Michael Gallup in those five games. I wonder how much of like that usage is directly going to roll over into next year. I mean, I think Mari Cooper is still the favorite to lead the team in targets. I'm not sitting here saying like one of these guys is going to supplant him. But if one of them did, how are they going to do it? Because is Gallup going to be that clear-cut vertical guy again? Is that all he's going to do? Because I don't. I think his trump card is being a vertical receiver that wins in contested areas. But Ceedee Lamb last year, this guy was basically, you know, I talked about like he was basically used as a like that role that I was talking about with Lavisca Chenault. Like that's what they kind of used Ceedee Lamb as last year. He was a slot receiver that barely ran against press coverage. That was mostly making big plays from the inside. During that stretch, he was the guy that was running, you know, most of his routes from the slot. Like I said, so is that going to be the way they use him again this year? Or was that just kind of a quick way to onboard him last year and get him rolling? Because I think Lamb could be a number. I think he could be a number one receiver. I think he is that good. So I think the receivers, like, I think it's fair to have Lamb valued with Cooper. I think it's it's fair. And I would probably take either one of them uh, as a stacking option here. You brought up Zeke. Um, I feel like Dalton, I don't know if it was you or you or I or or, or um, you and me and or someone else. Like, I feel like at different points at, to end 2020, I was like, I'm not drafting Zeke. There's no way uh, in 2021. But the more I think about it, again, go back to those five games with Dak Prescott, 89 carries, 364 yards, six total touchdowns. 32 targets that's a 100 target pace over 16 games obviously we're getting more than 16 games this year I don't know man I mean listen you know in most teams maybe like Tony Pollard would start to get a bump with Zeke and like it becomes more of a split but am I stupid for thinking it's the Cowboys like they're gonna give Zeke the ball they're gonna they're gonna do that like that's just the way Dallas rolls like Zeke's gonna get that ball and like 
if the catches and the goal line opportunities are there for an offense that you're saying is, you know, could harbor the second best quarterback in fantasy, I feel like I'm, I'm going to have no hesitation to take that guy at the one, two turn, uh, which is where I feel like he's probably going to go in drafts this year. Before I hit Zeke up, let me touch on CeeDee Lamb real quick. Uh, same amount of touchdowns as a rookie as Amari Cooper. I know Cooper's probably the safer pick in PPR this season, but man, CeeDee Lamb was targeted five times inside the 10 by Dak, four times inside the five. I mean, he was a rookie and obviously passed the, the eye test. So I just think the touchdown upside is just way higher than Amari Cooper. Zeke, Okay. I agree. Good call with how well he was doing before Dak went down. I don't think I quite looked at how big of a drastic that was with the touchdowns there. So yes, he it would have been great if he could have overcome his situation like some running backs in the NFL. And he was not nearly as good when Dak went down. Although he did prove that he wasn't totally washed with that nice game against Eagles late when people were saying Pollard should, you know, usurp him. So 25 years old still, I'm normally the guy who's moving on to the next, uh, the next running back, but still only 25 <laughs> and in this system. I feel like Zeke could be a league winner. You get him at the end of round one. Oldest I mean, 25 years old uh, running back of all time is Zeke Elliott, just based on the mileage there. Totally. I mean, it's not just the touchdowns and um, the workload. But I mean, look, he's really, look at him. But he was thrown to as a, targeted as a passing game. I mean, 10 targets, 11 targets, 7 targets, 8 targets in those first five games last year. Uh, yeah, no, I think Zeke could be, I get it. I get the worry, but... Man, even if he's just 80% of his old self in that offense, he's going to be super valuable. Yeah, and you're not you're not being asked to draft him fifth overall this year, fourth overall. I think he is going to fall. Folks are going to have concerns. Folks are going to be more excited to take uh, Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb or, you know, one of these younger, more exciting backs. It is interesting that, like, Zeke is falling so much farther down than a guy like Saquon Barkley you know, I think at this point in their career, Barkley's a better player, but Barkley's coming off like a devastating injury. And um, I have a lot more questions, even if they beefed up the skill position room. I got a lot more questions about, I shouldn't say devastating injury, but he's coming off an injury, right? And I've got a lot more questions about that New York Giants offensive ecosystem than I do the Dallas Cowboys, that's for sure. So I nope. feel like uh, I, have Zeke, I have Zeke, I have Zeke six behind Acres. Sorry to cut you off. I have Zeke ahead of Barkley. And there's a hot take, Camara too. I, I have Zeke ahead of those two. Uh, we're, I think we've hit the Cowboys enough. Let me ask you about this. Since you brought up Kamara, and we'll, we'll get out of here after this one. I'm having trouble with Kamara, too, because I loved the player. Uh, I said that he should be the number one running back in fantasy two years in a row. Um, and, you know, finally got that right a little bit last year. Uh, but it's tough, right? Because obviously the Taysom Hill factor remains. You know, he, he would definitely be uh, marginalized as a pass catcher. Also, is there is there a chance, Dalton, that like just even if Taysom Hill isn't the starter, like Jameis Winston is there, is there a chance that the Saints are just unwatchable this year? Which, by the way, they have five primetime games. Like I wrote a schedule uh, breakdown piece for the website a couple of weeks ago and like when the schedule came out and the Saints have five primetime games like we know every year it's usually reserved for the Bears, but I feel like Justin Fields is going to save them from that. We every year there's like one team that's just, oh, my God, why are they? on my TV on Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night. Like, I don't want to watch his team. I feel like there's a chance the Saints could be that team because even if it Taysom Hill's not in there, it's Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston is not good. Like, Jameis Winston might be good for fantasy because he pumps up stats and all that stuff because he turns the ball over right away and then will throw that thing downfield no problem. But, like, 
after Kamara and Thomas, there's really nothing to get excited about from a skill position standpoint. Uh, Adam Troutman, legit sleeper at tight end, definitely there. But like after that, what are we excited about? It's a bunch of like no name, unpedigreed wide receivers. I guess that it just could like New Orleans feels extremely volatile, which is I, maybe the most fair way to say it. Fully with you here. Part of the reason I liked Atlanta as a sneaky team to make uh, the playoffs is because New Orleans in their division is just ripe for the for the picking here. I um, there's a scenario where Winston starts all the games and it's a, a total carnival and it's a bunch of targets for Camara and it works out fine. But there's another scenario where Taysom Hill not only do the targets cut back, but the goal line scores he steals a bunch of them too, and maybe even comes in some games and it's a, a mix and match situation. So I think there's enough of a worry there. For me, Kamara still obviously whatever scored six touchdowns in a game last year. He's awesome. Um, I can understand yeah. why he's going so high. But for me, that's why I, why I have personally Akers, Elliott, and Barkley ahead of him this year. That's that's just me this year. Yeah, it's a different situation. But obviously, awesome player in his prime and deserves to go uh, in, in every first round of every fantasy league. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I've gone back and forth about Kamara, but you're definitely challenging like my you're pushing me towards the negative end of uh, the outcomes here. Uh, Lastly, what about Michael Thomas? I feel like Thomas has a bit more safety just because like we actually saw him be productive with Taysom Hill last year. And I think he can do more than just be slant boy. You know, I think there's much more to his game. Like I think he can win on vertical routes. I think a lot of the reason he was targeted on so many slants the last couple of years is because like what we all saw what happened with Drew Brees' arm. That's been happening the late great Chris Wessling was telling us that was happening for years and it it turned out to be the truth I think that was a bigger reason why Michael Thomas just getting targeted on slants like I think he can win on those deep digs deep posts even some more vertical routes than that with a guy like Jameis Winston if he's back there so I feel like Thomas is and he also is coming at a discount this year too you don't have to draft him anywhere near his potential ceiling are you in or out on Michael Thomas this year I also thought Taysom Hill threw the ball downfield better than maybe he's given credit. I don't think it'd be a total death knell for for Michael Thomas. Having said that, I think at ADP, he will end up on none of my teams. Um, Really, obviously, a high floor in PPR, and he'll be fine post-breeze, but never double-digit touchdowns in his career, including 185 target season. Um, He's just not really used in the red zone. And I guess my my argument against him is not Michael Thomas. It's just that have you seen the wide receiver position? I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I'm taking CeeDee Lamb ahead of him. I'm taking those Rams receivers with Stafford ahead of him. I know that seems crazy, but Allen Robinson and Keenan Allen with Herbert are like my number 10 and 11 receivers. So um, I, I just think it's hard for him to break in. I have him around my 15th right now just because the position's so loaded, the question marks. You know, he's now getting on the approaching 30 and the, the, the lack of touchdown upside. But I'm guessing I'm going to be the weird one there and he's going to be treated as a top 10-ish type wide receiver. What do you think? Well, he's going to go in the same tier as guys like Calvin Ridley, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Um, I feel like he's... Yeah, so to me, you know, like, they're yeah, gonna... Justin Jefferson and AJ Brown should not even be in the same breath as Michael Thomas to me. No, no, I, I totally... And I totally understand that perspective. Like, I think that those guys are going to be much more favorable. I think he might be the bottom of that tier, you know, I think, or or the the top of the next tier to the point that, okay, I'm willing to take a wide receiver. I'm just, I'm very personally curious because I'm like, I'm invested in the take that he can do more than just be a short area, like slant guy. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how that turns out, but maybe I don't have to take the discovery journey with him on my teams. Like I can just figure that out uh, without watching it. But uh, anyways, uh, I think that's going to do it for us. We covered a lot of stuff here. A lot of um, weird storylines, a lot of, uh, you know, camp BS, but we also, I feel like we gave the people 
you all, the people, our people, my people. Um, we gave you some real actionable takes here uh, to go draft your best ball teams and uh, live your best life here in the summer. Dalton, what else are you working on this week? What can we expect out of you from sports potentially that are actually happening right now? Yeah, I have a couple of baseball columns weekly. Just follow me on Twitter for that. Um, and I'll leave you with one more hot take as we're talking wide receivers, uh, Harmon. I officially moved A.J. Brown to number one on my receiver board. So, uh, so yeah, there's that. You Glad are you brave. Agree. Glad you agree. As long as RP's behind me, then I'm then I feel good about it. <laughs> You're a brave man. I I will never forget Dalton. One of my favorite. Uh, speaking of Dallas offense, Sands Dak. Um, one of uh my favorite memories of our time together here hosting this podcast was when I encouraged you to tweet more. Like you've got these like AJ Brown wide receiver one. Like that's a spicy ass take that the people need on Twitter. I think like right after I encouraged you to tweet more, you tweeted the thing about like Andy Dalton will be great. And like the Dallas offense will be uh, just as electric with him in it. Um, and then Dalton was <laughs> Horrible, Andy yeah. Dalton, not Dalton, Dalton. Yeah. Andy Dalton was horrible in, on Monday Night Football, um, was literally like decapitated the next week against the Washington football team, and Dallas's offense went in the tanks. And I'm pretty sure, I'm not even sure if you've sent a native tweet since then, Dalton. So, yeah, like, probably not. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I always appreciate, I always like feel bad. I, I've told my, my fiance that story before. I'm like, yeah, I love hosting a podcast with Dalton. I've told her that story. I'm like, I feel like I probably ruined his entire Twitter experience, and this is all my fault. So, for the sake of AJ, brown's appendages i will not be tweeting that out i will keep it yeah yeah never (laughs) because i love aj brown too you better keep that one let's keep that one just between us and all of the beautiful listeners here we we will and uh, anyone that is consuming your rankings as they should be they should consume your rankings they should read all of your content and in the meantime while you're waiting with bated breath for dalton's next tweet you can also pop in your headphones uh, and listen to the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. You can also follow Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth conversation from the NBA playoffs, people. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. That's at Dalton Del Don. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. We are out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.